0: Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. Apologies for the voice this week, Uh, I've got a bit of a head cold, but I really wanted to bring you guys the special episode of the pod covering the Reykjavik International Games, which I attended just over a week ago in Iceland. I was planning to put this out last week, but then uh, those of us travelling to Iceland got stuck there for an extra day because of some really bad weather last weekend. Um, but honestly, what a phenomenal weekend it it was. My experience there was great. When I went before, I said that it was my favourite country in the world, and having been there another time, nothing's changed. The people are so wonderfully friendly. The darting community over there is fantastic. The event was run wonderfully, and uh, it continued my streak of being with people at comps and them winning. It It started with Dieter Hedman. At the England Open in September, uh, then Deet Edmund and Sean McDonald at the Irish Classic in Killarney, and then John Scott and Margaret Sutton in Iceland. And you'll hear from John and Maggie on this week's show. John and Maggie will actually both touch on this in the interviews, but the weekend was fantastic. You know, we started it by getting picked up at the airport by Hallie Egelson, one of the Well-known faces of Icelandic darts. It was quite funny. He was stood in the arrivals bit of Keflavik airport with a sheet that said athlete on to collect us, which I have to say is probably the only time certainly I will ever be called an athlete. And then before we went to our hotels, Halley took us on a tour of some dart clubs in Reykjavik. And honestly, what we all wouldn't give for facilities like that in the UK, certainly in the London area. Uh, The first place we went to, near the airport, we all got given a a shirt as honorary members of, which was really cool. We then went to Vitor Chirua's bar. And Vitor, he's a, a carpenter by trade. He's set up this fantastic venue. He's kind of developed his own... Uh, electronic flexi board system uh, so they can have disability players playing with you know sort of able body players uh, at the same time it's also a registered academy to, to teach children and his wife Inge Bjorg, is a, a jdc instructor so they've got all the facilities and set up there and he's also a, a stockist of of darts and flights and all that kind of stuff so you can basically it's a one stop shop really at vito's place and then halley took us to another one one that he's a stakeholder of and it was brilliant. Sort of 16 boards, great setup, up loads of space. Um, and it's the sort of place you would love to be able to go and play at, at on a regular basis. We then went on to, to Bullseye, the, the venue in Reykjavik where the tournament was played. And it was unbelievable. When Matty Fridrickson was on the pod last year, he said that Bullseye was the best darts venue in Europe. And he absolutely wasn't joking. They've got Scolias on every board, which aren't cheap. There's loads of space between the boards and there's boards on multiple floors. It's a proper, proper venue. And when you look at the state of the Rileys that they've been playing the UK Open qualifiers at, it's just worlds apart. It really is. And the thing that struck us, we went to Bullseye on a Friday for for a drink and a chat and whatever. And the culture was great. You had people, particularly young people, you know, lads, girls out on a Friday night playing darts for fun. It was somewhere they went for fun. Uh, And we just don't have places like that. In the UK, it was phenomenal. The tournament itself was played in a good spirit. I personally was in a group with all Icelandic players, and they were all really nice. Um, I personally played crap for the most part of the tournament. I'm happy to to say that. Interestingly, I was on the stream for a couple of my games, which I had no idea of until I sat down and then saw a tweet from good friends over at the Weekly Dartscast, which was fun. Um... Maybe if I'd known, I would have played better. But also, if I'd known, I probably would have played even worse, if that was possible. Um, The highlight for me was taking a leg off Palani Peterson, who was the defending champion. That was easily the best I played all day, the game against PAL. Uh, But by and large, it was a phenomenal experience. And I have to say, it was phenomenal as well because of how well the tournament was run. You basically didn't need a control desk because everything was done through Dark Connect. Everybody knew what they were doing. Everyone knew how to use the tech and stuff, and it ran so smoothly. We were split into groups. It was half the groups in the morning, half in the afternoon, and it ran super smoothly. Like, I couldn't fault it, and it certainly compares very favorably to, to other events I've been to in terms of the way they're run with people shouting on the mics and whatever, Um during the weekend, I managed to, to chat with a number of the players. I chatted with Matty Fridrickson, lovely guy. Uh, good to meet him in person. Same goes for Vitor Chirua. Um, one of the most interesting people I spoke to was Scott Ramsey from Scotland. He used to play for Partick Thistle, a club I've got a particular soft spot for. He, When he left Partick, he moved to Iceland to play football, uh, and now he's playing darts. And he said his claim to fame was that he used to play football with Matty Fridriksen, and he got Matty into Darts, and now, obviously, Matty's the the number one-ranked man in Iceland. So, that was fun. Scott's a lovely bloke. We had good crack throughout the day, Um, and he played really well. He really stepped it up and pushed Vitor close in their game in the knockout rounds. Um, After the finals, we all went for a lovely meal, so the finalists in the men's and the women's, myself, Maria johannes Dottir, who gave us a lift on the, the Monday when we got delayed, all the players who'd come from Hungary were a really nice bunch and Jesse Delorme from France. Lovely meal and it was a nice end to the weekend and a really well-run tournament. The men's competition was won by John Scott, as I mentioned earlier. He survived a fight back from Vitor in a tense final to win 7-5. John and I discussed his first title win in almost three years, missing out on Lakeside by just one win last year the importance of being a seed on the tour and much more besides. I'm now delighted to be joined by the reigning Reykjavik International Games champion, John Scott. John, how are you?
1: I'm great, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well and uh, pleased to give you a slightly different introduction. This time, you've had a couple of days since the the win now. How do you reflect on picking up your first title of the year?
1: Yeah, I mean, over the moon, you know... um great way to start the year um not um not a particularly uh, well-known tournament to most i think it's um it's only been ranked for a couple of years and obviously through covid um everywhere's sort of been on hold but um yeah i mean second time i've been to iceland uh, lovely place uh, the people there are just so friendly and great and welcoming um but yeah yeah really happy to get, uh, get another win under my belt although you can still refer to me as the reigning Estonian Open and Masters Champion because they still haven't played that one since. So, uh, yeah, the holder of three still.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned going to Iceland before. When was it that you actually went over there to compete previously?
1: I went out there in the the Iceland Open in 2018 um, with Francis Carragher. I mean, that was in a totally different venue, a lot smaller. The numbers have almost doubled, I think, entry-wise, since then um that was a tournament i think it was i believe it was dennis watts first victory and i think he then won it again the following year when i ironically went to estonia instead of iceland because there was two tournaments and not one yeah it was, it was out a little bit more in i would say the mountains but the uh icelandics did laugh when i mentioned that <laughs> they said "Oh, it's not in the mountains it's just it's just out in the country but um yeah, I mean, obviously this this tournament was held in, in Reykjavik, right in the centre, um, so it's a lot more lively outside the venue. Um, but yeah, as I say, um, lovely place to visit. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be going back.
0: It is a new venue in, in Reykjavik, Bullseye, where we both played. Obviously, you were the, the more successful of the two Englishmen in the draw, but what did you make of the venue They've got there because it was more than just the the competitive area where people were playing on the the Saturday and Sunday.
1: Yeah, I mean the venue was amazing. Um, you, you know, you you walk through in the entrance way and there's good sort of ten boards in this room, and you might think, oh, this looks like this is where we're going to be playing. But no, you go through that room and up some steps, in the massive hall. Um, what i can only describe as like a, a nightclub type venue <laughs> and the size of it and um you know dartboards all over the walls again another 20 odd boards in there then another upstairs bar with another probably 10 boards great place i mean the first time as you know we we visited there on the friday night and it was literally like a nightclub with dartboards um Every board had a scolia system on, which are not cheap. Um, there was Friday night out in Reykjavik seemed to be just go and have a drink and play some darts for fun. Um, you know, people of all ages, um, guys and girls, all playing. Um, you know, there's no doubt the, the interest in the game there. Um, and... We were lucky to visit another couple of clubs um, in the local area on the way from the airport to Reykjavik. And I've got to say, you know, the facilities there are just superb. Every club fitted with Dark Connect, able to take disability boards, um, great playing area, lots of space. It really is an incredible setup they've got. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So talking about the the event itself then, it started on the Saturday with the group stage, which isn't something you get that often in European competitions. It's a big thing in Australia, but it's not really a thing in Europe that often. Uh, You won all your games, all five of them, three good performances, the three best averages of the day, and then two, by your own admission, quite poor performances. But I suppose having that fluctuation is the luxury of the group stage you can afford to have an off game or a couple of off games and you'd still probably get through anyway
1: it was you know a warm up day if you like um being that it was unseeded there um due to the limited number of ranked players um because of Covid because there hasn't been any ranked tournaments in Iceland um you know it could have been you could have got anyone in your group so it was there was no um luxury of taking anyone lightly um yeah, the first game I played, I played well, had two back-to-back kind of iffy games, still won. The last two I then played better again, um, to go into the second day with a bit more confidence, having played better towards the end. But yeah, as you say, I mean, you, you do have a little bit of a luxury. Um, I mean, Vitor, who I played in the final, actually didn't win his group. He actually lost the game. Um, so it just shows you that's it's just about getting through. Um, they did groups actually in the Ice and Open when I went there in 2018. It was all on one day, but they did play groups at the start of that. And the only other one that I know of that does that is uh, over in Poland. They tend to have groups, but they'll have only groups of three or four players. So you'll, you'll play two or three games and then it goes, you know, only one goes through from each group, rather than um, what it was there were groups of six or seven, but four going through. So it was, as you say, it was quite more of a warm-up because you you just had to make sure you got through to the next day.
0: And some of us manage that slightly better than others. You put up a, a post on Facebook at the end of the day on Saturday, sort of a joking one about you know consistency is the key sort of thing, but you were through and you know, you were saying, you know, I'm I'm through to tomorrow, last sixty four. There was some criticism, you know, a couple of people on that post about, you know, the group stages and, and the, the quality maybe that was there. I personally didn't agree with those comments and, and I know you don't either. Are you able to just kind of ignore any of that criticism of, of you know where you've gone or what people think of the tournament you're playing in?
1: Yeah, of course, I mean, you know at the end of the day, darts is a game where you you only have to beat the person at the board with you at any one time, whether that's in the first round or the final or indeed in a group um yeah, my attitude is always well it's it's an open competition, everyone's welcome to to travel and put in the miles and the time to dedicate to do these tournaments across europe um if I happen to be more dedicated than they are and turn up and win, then so be it. Um, you know, but also, like I said, the, the number of people in Iceland who seem to be playing darts—like every bar, every pub has a dartboard—and um, there's always people playing. Um, you know, you're not going to attract everybody to play. Should you have just a straight knockout? One guy I played in the group on the Saturday said to me. Afterwards, he'd only been playing a couple of months and it's the first time he's ever played a tournament. And these guys aren't going to pay the equivalent of £30 to play in a tournament to play first round and get beat. At least this way, they know they're going to get five or six games, get a whole day or half a day as it was to enjoy the competition and get some valuable practice. You put those people in the knockout... They get one game, they lose, they go home. You know, maybe they're put off doing that again. Or maybe they don't even enter in the first place.
0: I mean, you've obviously always been quite a a big traveller since you've been doing the tour. And when we were talking over the weekend, you were saying that you'd actually much rather go to Estonia or Lithuania or or Iceland or or Germany, Denmark, wherever, in Europe, than actually playing the more British based events because of the way that they're run
1: yeah I mean I, say, I would never criticise anyone you know the, the volunteers who put themselves out to run tournaments anywhere but it does seem to me that just the, the way things are organised across Europe when they they only run one tournament a year most of the time and yet it just seems so much more relaxed everyone knows what's going on and um, There's no-one shouting over the microphone all day. Um, There's no-one shouting for markers. The venues have normally got a lot more space, and okay, that might be because of the lesser numbers. But, I mean, again, to use one example at the Welsh Open this year, I mean, the lighting on the boards was literally just like one bulb for each board in a pretty much pitch black room and you think this is a, a huge tournament with five, six hundred people all paying for big money and you know the facilities just aren't, oh great, it seems to be like this is the venue we've always used, we'll put it together and people will come because of the money, because of the big points. Um, the atmosphere at the overseas tournament is a lot more friendly. Um, every country seems to welcome um, the players coming from overseas, not just from the UK. But you, know, you go to Hungary and the, the Dutch or Germans or the Belgians, and they're all, you know, welcomed. And it's the, their attitude is well, they're putting themselves out to come to this tournament. We want to make sure they have a good time. I do prefer the overseas tournaments. Um, that's not to say I won't attend big UK tournaments cuz like well, we know the the points and the the prizes are, are too big to ignore when you when you're chasing the rankings
0: moving ahead to the the sunday the first real test you'd had was in the last 16 when you played halley eggleston in many ways your twin uh, <laughs> <laughs> certainly visually <laughs> you were 2-1 down in that game, and then you hit a big one thirteen finish to tie it up at two two. Did you feel that checkout was the the turning point of that game because you had been sort of struggling up until that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I missed a few doubles to go to one down, um, and he took out both the first two legs. He, he finished with his first dart at the double. He missed a shot, and the one 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 three. It was one of those moments where I just thought, if the first start goes in, this is going, you know. Um, It'd be lovely to be able to know how we do that at times and to channel it for every single throw. But, yeah, I mean, it was was a a turning point moment because I think he lost a lot of confidence, even though it was only two all. Um, It sort of hit him a bit as well and gave me a boost. Um, But, yeah, you get those in all tournaments. You know, anyone who tells you that they go through a tournament winning without anyone having darts against them or having a little wobble is quite frankly not, not telling the truth 100%, you know, um, that's darts and yeah, the, the only way is to come through it, which I did, so ultimately it, uh, I just moved on to the next, the next leg after that and, and took a bit more control of that game.
0: You know, averages aren't the be-all and end-all. But if you looked on Dark Connect, your average from the last 64 to the 32 to the 16 to the quarters to the semis, every round up to the final, your average went up every round. Now, that doesn't tell the full story. But did you feel like you were playing a bit better as you you were going through the games?
1: The first round is always the hardest one. So you, you just want to get through it. And obviously the momentum builds with you. You get more confident each time you win. Um, and I mean, I suppose the idea is, yeah, you have to get better each round because your opponents are getting better. But yeah, I mean, it was it was building nicely. I was feeling good. It's literally you, the stats. You can't always go by the stats, but um, yeah, I, I was feeling with each round more and more like, yeah, one more. You're gonna win this now. Gonna win the next one. Gonna win the next one. Um. But uh, honestly, I mean, once I got through to the last 16, I knew I had some points. So that was a little weight off the shoulders. Um, and when I got to the semi-final, that was kind of like my minimum wish for the weekend was to get to the last four. And then everything else was a bonus.
0: And in the last four, you played uh, Matty Frederiksen, who's sort of the top male player in Iceland. At the moment, it was a very good game to watch. You, you both played really well, had three of the best legs of the day in that game. Did you kind of feel that beating him, that was kind of like, it, it wasn't the final, but it was sort of like your final, because he was the home player that everyone was expecting the most of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew before. I knew Vitor and Halley before. I'd never met Matty, but I've, obviously I know enough about uh the icelandic darts to know he, he'd been playing really well um for quite a while so yeah it, i knew it was going to be a tough game um another one where there was a, a couple of little turning points at times where he missed a shot i took out a shot or i finished well uh, or i missed a shot and he took it out but yeah that it, it kind of was in my mind It was he was the one to beat at the start of the weekend, so you know to play him in the semi final, I knew that was it was always going to be a tough game. Um, And again, just just glad to come through through that one.
0: And then that final against Vitor, you started well, won the first couple of legs, but then he fought back into it. And, And watching the game, it certainly looked to me you looked a bit more tense in your action, and maybe looked a bit quicker than you had been thrown in some of the other games was there an element of nervousness or tension creeping in for you?
1: Um, not initially um, I took the first couple of legs quite comfortably he had a really good leg to peg one back and then I took a couple more um, it, the, the break probably came at the wrong time I had, they said uh, they told us on stage that I was 4-1 up and they said after this leg got a break which I knew there was after six legs but It kind of, it sort of made me relax a bit too much, thinking, just get to the break now. And then after the break, I think I took the first leg, but then sort of was a bit complacent. And you're right, I was not consciously, but I realized I was throwing a bit quicker, a bit too relaxed, Um, sort of more, less, less tension, but not in, well, not enough tension. A little bit too, too relaxed. If anything, and you know, luckily, through experience, I sort of stood back and said to myself, when it got to five all, I said, you know, slow yourself down, make sure of every dart, throw sub eighteen darts for the last three legs potentially, and you should win two of them because you got the throw. Um, and luckily, I didn't need to use the third of those legs, and got got. I
0: am 7-5. And it was a, a lovely win, first title in a, a couple of years. And I suppose it, it sets you up well for the year. You talk about getting to the semis as a, a minimum goal. Winning the event makes you 12th in the men's rankings now, which certainly for the next couple of months will be a massive advantage when it comes to seeding for competitions.
1: Yeah, especially with the new, or not new now, but the change to... The seeding rules since the WDF took over, where it used to be based on entries. So you'd get 32 seeds if there was 256 entries. Whereas now there's eight seeds in a bronze, 16 in a silver, and 32 in a gold. So being in the top 16 means I'm guaranteed to be seeded in all gold and silver events, um, depending on numbers of people who above me who turn up potentially could be seeded in most of the bronze events as well. So it does make a difference. You know, you can still get a, a bum draw whether you're a seed or not. We were talking about it at the weekend in Chelsea where Wayne Warren was number one seed. We played Conan Whitehead first round and then, I forget who we said it was second round, but, you know, two top players and he was number one seed. So seeding doesn't guarantee a good draw, But it does separate you from at least the other seeds. And it's all about picking up points somehow in as many events as you can. So it's got to help. But, yeah, I mean, I was I think I was 11th when the pandemic started and I dropped down to about 200 and something um, when all the 2019 points were removed. So it's taken me a while to get back where I was but it's kind of where I was where I left off two years ago Hmm. so you know it's not a it's not a false position and uh, yeah it's always good to be up there rather than being just outside the places when it comes to the Lakeside qualification like I was this year well yeah
0: I mean that that kind of brings me on to the, the next thing last time we spoke was back in September of last year, you just played the events in Catalonia. You know they had not gone quite how you'd felt, but they were your first events in you know eighteen months or whatever. So there was a an element of of getting up to speed. How would you assess the four months that it was that was the twenty twenty one season?
1: Um, yeah, it didn't start great. Um, I didn't pick up anything until Denmark, I believe, was the first points I picked up. And then I got a couple more at the the British Open. But it wasn't till the beginning of November when we went to Hungary. And I had a good weekend there. I won the pairs with my friend Eric Wermana. Did well on the Saturday. Got to the quarterfinals Sunday. Lost in the last 16 to Moreno Blom. um, But had played really well for three days. And that sort of gave me a confidence boost. I went to Malta. Had a good run there to the final. And then had to two good runs to the last 16 in Italy so most of my points came in November after it did take a little while to get back in the swing of things. I wouldn't say it was a particularly bad time you know I wasn't playing badly just a bit of luck here and there. Denmark I drew Andy Bartons and John O'Shea in like the second round both days so you know bad draws here the odd bad game when you didn't have a bad draw—it's it's easy to to lose at darts. That's uh, that's one of the great things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it wasn't great at the start, but it, it finished well. And as you know, I just missed out potentially one more game in any of those tournaments, and I would have been at Lakeside come April. Mm. Yeah.
0: And I, I suppose it's frustrating because 2019, you had a really good year. I remember, I think the stat was that you'd you been to the same number of finals as Jim Williams and won more than Wayne Warren, and they obviously were the eventual World Championship finalists at the end of that season, and you'd been in a qualification spot basically all of the year until you weren't at the end. And then last year, as you say, you ended up being the first person outside the, the qualification. So... Was that tough for you to, to be so close again and, unfortunately, to, to miss out?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that's why I do it. You know, I want to get into the World Championships, whether it's once or whether it's as many times as I can. But that first one is obviously the hardest time to get in because um, you do feel a bit of pressure to, to qualify. Um, I mean, I had three match starts against Francesco Ruschini in, in Italy, to, to be in and two in one leg that I missed the d- tops and double ten like they were very nervous darts you know? <laughs> but I knew and that's the problem is I knew what it meant and so once you get over that line then you you tend to be a, a little bit more relaxed about it but yeah look um, I was told I was first reserved for Lakeside pre the postponement of the event Um, obviously now since I'm still not in um, a couple of the players who had tour cards aren't taking part but they've re-invited a couple of the regional guys but no 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 sour grapes in that respect for me they all deserve to be there they all qualified I didn't so I can't um, I can only be disappointed in myself not doing better and getting there and that's what I'm trying to put right in 2022
2: Hmm.
0: as you mentioned there you were the first reserve for January in theory you should still be first reserve based on the the table at the end of the ranking season that applies have the WDF spoken to you about that position or have you spoken to them about it
1: no I haven't had it confirmed either way since the announcement the other week with the the tour card holders being given uh, permission to play. If I was assuming, I would guess that I would still be first reserve because all the players that were, who originally turned down the opportunity because of COVID from overseas, they've all now been asked again and two are playing now. So there's no other list to take it from apart from the, the rankings and I was still the next one in. So I would assume so, but the the chances of someone not playing now are a lot slimmer because the the testing elements and everything are not as strict. The restrictions are are not as strict. You know, there's still a chance, but I'm not. It's not not even in my mind anymore, just because it's probably now quite unlikely. Whereas in January, when there was all these positive tests going around and then I thought I had a, a reasonable chance, not wishing ill on anyone, but you, you think at least one person would have a problem somewhere.
0: Hmm. Looking ahead to the, the 2022 season, the rest of it, what's next on the, the calendar for Nasha?
1: Uh, we got Slovakia in just over two weeks' time, um, which is another event I've been to a number of times. Every, every time, I think, actually, because the first one I went to was the first Slovakian Open. So I know what that's all about. It's a lovely venue, lovely place. Then through March, um, I'm most likely to go to Budapest in March. Um, and then April comes around and I think we've got Iceland and they've just announced Scotland. They're on the same weekend, so maybe might go back to Iceland again. We'll see what... Uh, what the sponsor says, if he wants to sub me for another weekend of expensive food and drink and uh, £200 taxis. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully getting home on time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that, yeah. Uh, So no trips to the Faroe Islands then?
1: I've looked at it, but I, I think the flight's very expensive. I think it's about £300 for the flight. So I did look at it. I haven't definitely ruled it out yet. But, yeah, it's a tough one because, again, it's another one where you think it's a good opportunity to pick up some some points. But, it, you know, I can't... Um, my my sponsorship only goes so far. I'm not sure I want to use it up before before we get halfway through the year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Congratulations again on your win at the weekend, John. It was superb string of performances and uh, thank you very much for your time as always greatly appreciated to have you on the show
1: No, thank you for the invite it's always uh, great to be on and uh, yeah look forward to, to seeing you around the circuit again this year as well
0: i hope you enjoyed that chat with john we get on really well we think about <laughs> the the game in a similar way and he's definitely someone with firm friend of the show status it was good to, to see him winning, and I think throughout the weekend it was just a case of him doing what he needed to do at the right moments. It's easier said than done, but at the end of the day, the only statistic that matters in a game of darts is the final score, and he won. He won every game, and that's all you can ask of someone. After missing out on the Worlds the last couple of years, you can see his motivation to get to the Worlds in 2023 is so obvious, and the the next step of him doing that is going to Slovakia at the end of the month for the next European doubleheader And at the moment, he figures to be among the top four or five seeds for that event, which, as he said in the interview, will hopefully be a massive advantage that he lacked in the back end of 2021. The women's title was won by Margaret Sutton, and it was her first title in 14 and a half years, uh, which was a statistic that surprised her when I told her after a win. She played really well on the Saturday in the group stages at a 69 average in one of her games being the highlight. Sunday was a bit scrappier, uh, but she got through all the games and then beat Ingeborg in the final 7-2. The key really for Maggie was just some clutch, clutch combination finishing and she got over the line. Maggie and I discussed her thoughts on the, the darting scene in Iceland, what it was that prompted her to go over there in the first place. Recently hitting the 300 cap milestone for Middlesex, and winning the, the Reykjavik International Games despite having a slight malfunction with her glasses. I'm now delighted to be joined by the Reykjavik International Games champion, Margaret Sutton. Margaret, how are you? I'm uh, very well,
2: thank you. Uh, a bit tired this morning. A bit of a delayed reaction from our long um, you know, trek home. But <laughs> yes, OK, thank
0: you. Congratulations on the win at the, the weekend. How are you feeling about it all now, a few days removed?
2: Um, it's a long time since I've managed to uh, to actually win anything. I usually get up close, but not quite past the, the finishing line, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, so it was really nice to do it for a change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was the first time you'd been to Iceland to, to play in a competition. What was it that prompted you to, to head over
2: there? Well, to be honest, it was the country I wanted to go to, and... Uh, playing dance while I was there was uh, an added bonus uh, and then
0: winning it as well made it a super bonus. <laughs> Something that myself, yourself, John we got to see a lot of was the facilities that they've got in Reykjavik not just where we played but some of the other clubs as well. What did you make of the, the venues they've got and how do you feel they compare with uh, the venues we've got in the UK? I have to
2: say I was immensely, immensely impressed the setup for the darts over there is, well, I'd honestly say second to none. Uh, you know, the, uh, one uh, guy in particular, Vitor, who had done the electronic disabled board so that it could move up and down for the different heights was just amazing. Uh, you know, I, I would happily go back and play any of their darts clubs because they are absolutely super. Uh, I, you know, I, I envy them. I envy them.
0: So the competition itself started on Saturday with the round robin, which isn't something we see a lot of in the UK. Did you like getting a few extra games under your belt before the, the games that mattered, in a sense, started? Um,
2: I definitely did because you, you knew you weren't going just for maybe get knocked out in the first round and, and off you go. Um, you, know, you knew you were getting a definite amount of games out of it or out of the whole weekend. Having said that, once you've done the round, Robin, you go into the straight knockout the next day, it was strangely more (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking.
0: And obviously, you went on to to win the whole thing, which obviously was great, but the day started in a slightly odd way. You've been playing darts a long time, so I can't imagine it's very often you experience a new feeling to start the day. Uh,
2: Yes, a very long time. I mean, the one thing that I got to be confused about was that when you got to 45 darts if nobody had got a double by then you had to throw for the ball for the, for the game. Um, when I was marking a game the day before it totally threw me because I actually didn't know what to do when we got to the 45 darts and how to finish off the game um, and how to you know put the score right and so I had to be shown that so that was a new experience um, but I did actually have that explained to me by somebody later who said that When they're in their clubs playing and the weather does get very bad, if the game does go on for a long time, they might not actually get home. (laughs)
1: So
2: they have to sort of put an end to it at some point to get the competitions finished in time for them to be able to get home. So I sort of saw the sense in it then.
0: Well, yeah, certainly. And you won the leg anyway, so that's all that really matters. Fortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Now, going into the the final, uh, you're playing pretty well. But there was an incident with your glasses. Now, you've not always worn glasses to play, so when did you start wearing them and why? Well, I started
2: to find that the board itself was getting a little bit blurred uh, just before we went into lockdown, actually, in 2020. So while we were in lockdown, um, that's when I thought, well, I'll try wearing glasses to play now because I'm not really going out anywhere. I'll try and get used to them. And I did. I have got a super pair of glasses. Um, that are perfect for when I'm playing and I've taken such great care of them until I played the semi-final, when I managed after the semi-final to accidentally snap them in half, so I didn't have any glasses for the final.
0: I, I have to say, it was quite funny, you were 4-2 up at the break in the final and you looked across at me and just said, I can't see. Um uh, <laughs> but in the final you took out 86 114 and 113 in successive legs so was that you just playing on instinct taking out those bigger finishes oh
2: for sure i mean i'm not saying it was the sight was that bad but it was slightly blurred especially on the green segments the red were not too bad but on the green segments i was struggling so i was literally just throwing on instinct and hoping that they went in and fortunately, they did, so maybe I should go back
0: to not wearing glasses. <laughs> <So it's laughs> to work better. You mentioned this towards the beginning. This was the first WDF title for you since the 2007 Malta Open. Did it feel <laughs> that long?
2: <laughs> it didn't seem that long. I, I didn't even realise myself. Yeah, I, I really didn't realise. Um, I mean, I've come close so many times, um, you know, semi-finals, even runner-up. Um, so, yeah, it made it especially nice to, in a strange way, know that it'd been that long. And now, at long last, I've managed to, to peg one again.
0: <laughs> and that win of that event gets you a spot in the World Masters at the end of the year, which I suppose gives you something nice to, to look forward to in December.
2: Year as such because I've already managed to qualify so yeah that's a big bonus.
0: so you are you know you love playing f- for Middlesex so when you hit the 300 appearance mark f- for Middlesex a- against Wiltshire did the team have a little celebration for you? Uh, well they um, gave me a, a,
2: you know, a commemorative trophy and um, the usual you know um, cheers and what have you which was extremely nice yeah
0: and uh, have you got a new target in mind now, a new record of appearances you want to make? Oh, I had not even thought
2: that far ahead. Um, I'm just basically going to keep going and, and see how it goes. I haven't got a particular target. Um, no, not really. Just just, just going to keep going as much
0: <laughs> as I can. <laughs> and that's 300 and whatever appearances on the spin as well. It's not just all time. They are consecutive appearances.
2: They are yes, yeah. I can remember one time I had a bad chest infection and I actually got out of bed, got a taxi to the venue, luckily we were at home, um, got a taxi to the venue, played my game, managed to watch the rest of the ladies game and then went straight back home by taxi and got straight back into bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, And you were saying over in Iceland that even a, a damaged foot that you picked up in Ecuador didn't stop you playing county a couple of years ago.
2: Islands, and I was in Quito and Ecuador on my way back, um, and I had a fall, um, which, to cut long story short, I ended up in the hospital with a torn ligament across the top of my foot, and I literally couldn't walk. I got brought home um, by wheelchair through all the airports. That was an experience I'd never, ever want to repeat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I got home late on the Friday night. There was thick snow on the ground. The only boots I could get on my feet were a pair of my mum's old boots, because they were two sizes bigger. I could get them over the dressing thing that was on my foot. Um, so Saturday I went hobbled and went and watched the ladies play. And they said, you're going to be all right tomorrow. I said, I'll have to let you know tomorrow. And the next day I said, yeah, as long as someone can help me up the steps, I can manage. And they did. So they helped me up the steps. And then I managed to hobble back and forth. And I apologised to the girl I was playing against. Um, I hope I didn't hold her up too much. I, I tried my best not to. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a, another
0: one where I somehow managed to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I know that before you started playing darts and darts for Middlesex, you used to play netball for Middlesex. Why did you choose to, to start playing darts when you sort of stopped playing netball? Um, I actually had to
2: stop playing netball through injury. I used to do a lot of sports. I mean, netball was my favourite and I, I just did circuit training. I, you know, played like every weekend, every opportunity. Um, then unfortunately I was injured at work or a stress fracture on my, on my spine, on one of my vertebrae. And I had to give up all my sports and I also had to give up my job at the same time, which left me with a huge gap of what to do with myself. Um, so I asked a couple of friends who played in dance teams. I already played in a little local team just now and again, which was great. But I then needed a bit more. And um, so I asked um, one of the girls, <coughs> excuse me, you know, did they need a player? And basically they did. And then somebody else said somebody else needed a player. And they did. And so I joined a couple of teams purely for something to do because I didn't really, you know, have my active sports to go out and start running around doing um, so yeah, I, I picked it up from there, and and then someone introduced me to Super League, and that's it, really.
0: Just <laughs> carried on. You were hooked from then on. Basically,
2: yeah. <laughs> and
0: you you've been all over the the world to play. You played in America, Canada, wherever. Where would you say is the your favourite place to play? Oh
2: goodness, that's a hard question. I mean, country-wise, I mean, America is great because. They have a good setup, and they do sort of five, six different competitions over the period of the weekend. So you get it. You go over there and it's a long trip and you're not just playing one knockout coming back. You get to play, you know, mixed pairs, mixed triples, um, cricket pairs, cricket singles, 501 singles. I mean, you get a good amount of darts to play while you're there. So that's that's really quite nice. That's Canada as well. You know, do the same thing.
0: Uh, you know, what would you been playing such a, a long time? You've seen a lot of changes in the ladies' games, not only just in terms of players, but in terms of tournaments and you know, world championships and all that kind of thing. What would you say that the biggest difference is now in the, the ladies' game from from when you started to t- today?
2: Oh, it's improved vastly. I mean, we've you know, when I was first started playing, putting it bluntly, if you if you played somebody from abroad you would more than likely win. You know, now there's so many fabulous players from all over the world. You can't take that for granted anymore, for sure. And also, I think the game is picking up now, Um, competition-wise. We're getting more, more competitions coming into the calendar. And therefore, you're getting more people attracted to it. And
0: the game's getting harder, for sure, to, to win. As you can tell from me, not winning since 2007 or whatever it was. <laughs> so aside from uh, the remaining games of the season f- for Middlesex, what else is on the, the calendar for you for, for this year in terms of WDF competitions?
2: Well, funny you say that because I was just talking about that last night and I said I'm actually on leave today and I'm not doing anything this, this weekend. So I'm actually now... Um, after i've had a cup of tea i'm gonna sit down and go through the diary and then see what i can and can't get to hmm. um, i may be hoping i'll put my fingers crossed that i'll be free to be able to go to perhaps hungry um as perhaps the next one um but yeah i'm gonna sit down and look at the diary
0: today actually mm, very nice because i suppose it it's a bit more challenging this year obviously you know county always takes priority for you but there's also more of the, the women's series events, and they obviously clash with some of the, the bigger WDF ones as well.
2: That's right, because um, I mean, it's, I've always been known for putting county first. Um, maybe I can do some of them on the Saturday, but not the Sunday ones. So that is something that I'm actually going to go through and look at now and see what I can and can't do. But it is a shame that they're clashing, for sure, because I'd love to do them both, but it's impossible.
0: And on an average week, I know things are sort of getting back to normal now after to COVID, How often on an average week do you actually play darts?
2: I play on Monday in our Middlesex Super League, Thursday in the Berkshire Super League, and then I just reserve for two different teams on a Wednesday night. Um, Whichever one of them needs me, I'll go and help them out if I can, and if neither of them need me, then i have a rest.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, congratulations on your win at the weekend once again, and I look forward to catching up again later in the year at another event but sure we will. Thank you. Something Maggie uh, forgot in the interview, but wanted me to mention was she wanted to say thanks to, to Holly for the lift on the the Friday and taking us around and looking after us. And also to to Maria Johanna Stottier for giving us the lift on Monday when our travel plans were all changed. And I echo those sentiments. They were so friendly, so kind. And I look forward to catching up with both of those guys, uh, at some point later in the year, maybe this year's Iceland Open, maybe Rig in 2023. But uh, fantastic. And yeah, great to see Maggie win for her. It's it's nice to see a fresh face in the winner's circle. But also it was nice to see the Icelandic women get a bit of outside competition. It, it was clear talking to them that they were really excited that somebody had actually come from overseas to play in one of their competitions. And in a country like that, where there is such a strong desire to improve and the spirit for darts is growing, them having the opportunity to play more varied and better opponents will help them no end. Maggie was similar enough in standard to some of them that it was a really competitive game, even though they lost. And it gives them something to aim towards moving forward. If she goes back in April, she'll probably be the top seed. And again, she'll be the one they want to beat because she came over last time and won their title. Obviously, to, to get a win over her would be a scalp uh, for them, which which is great. It gives a real story to that tournament for next time. And I know Ingeborg will want that win back. It's been fairly quiet on the the WDF scene. Otherwise, it's a fairly slow start to the year before things really pick up in March, and then the the World Championships in April. But there was in the last week some news. There was the confirmation of the first six gold events of 2022. These aren't necessarily the first six gold events on the calendar, but they're just the first six to be confirmed. It starts with the Isle of Man in the middle of March. You've got Scotland and Denmark in April. Wales at the beginning of May. The British Open in September and then the Irish Open in November. November. I've heard talks about the New Zealand Open being gold uh, ongoing at the moment. The the date is proving the stumbling block at the minute uh, and there's potential for for gold events of some description in Australia uh, and America as well. It was exciting to to hear from Richard Ashdown and and read in their press release that there's talk of Asian events coming back this year, which is great. The more regional representation, the better. You know, this is the World Darts Federation and the more of the world playing at the World Championships, the better. There are no WDF events this weekend, but I am to be back next week, though, uh, with a show with a couple of people playing at Lakeside that you might not have heard too much about before. Uh, and then at the end of the month, there's the Slovakian Open and Masters, as well as the Camellia Classic over in the USA. So there's plenty to, to look forward to before, as I say, a, a busier March with tournaments across you know Europe and, and the US. Thank you to John and Maggie for their time on this week's show and thank you to you guys for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Sinclair 97 You can follow the podcast on Twitter at InsideTheWDF. You can like, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. I'll catch you next week.